0: In Job 9, in Job 9, verse 2, Job asked what is probably the most important question that's ever been asked in all of history, and it's the title of our series for this uh, five weeks. He says, how can a man be in the right before God? This is Job talking with his friends and asking, how can a man be in the right before God? It's the question that we're asking in the series, Are You Right With God? In the series, we're looking into the concept of, of righteousness, God's righteousness, and the role that that plays in our salvation. Last week, we said that the simple message of the gospel must include the idea that God's righteousness, His perfection, His standing in the right which is deserved, exposes our lack of of righteousness. It is God's righteousness that exposes our unrighteousness, and that has got to be a part of the simple message of the gospel, otherwise we pervert it for our own causes. And today we build on that truth to look into the nature of God's amazing gift of his own righteousness. So let's jump right in. Uh turn with me to 3:21 through 6 if you haven't yet. We're going to read the whole passage together in Uh, Jump back in to see how Paul develops his argument here We're going to dissect this important passage along the way uh, And give you a lot of good doctrinal fodder today A lot of good doctrinal stuff This is a crucial passage in Romans Called by many Bible commentators One of the most important in the entire New Testament If not all of the Bible So it's important we understand the meaning of the words that Paul uses It's important we understand the development of the argument that he's making here Read along with me if you would Romans 3:21 through 6 says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. 26 says this, It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jump back to verse 21 where we begin to see Paul make his first point about the righteousness of God. And we've got lots of blanks in your study notes today. The first point is that righteousness is apart from legalism. It's apart from legalism. Verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been made known apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The word but here is what we call an adversative. It contrasts what Paul is about to say in verse 21 with what came before. What came before, as we talked about a little bit last week, was the situation of of all people being in the hopeless state of unrighteousness that condemned them. The unrighteousness that is in contrast to God's perfect righteousness. Paul says in the first few chapters that all people, regardless, are deserving of death. He says it in Romans one thirty two. those who practice such things deserve to die. Now note that one of those things, for example, is disobedience to parents. Don't assume that you're not in that list. Don't assume that you're not in that list of sins that shows you as condemned. You are condemned, Paul says, just like the rest of all humanity. So Paul is here contrasting, in verse 21, man's inability, like he talked about before, his inability to please God with God's righteousness given to mankind. He's contrasting our ability with God's righteousness given to us, as he talks of now. So Paul says, even though we were all condemned to die, there is hope. That's why he says, but now the righteousness of God... Circle that word of there, by the way. That word of is pretty significant. Because it means that the righteousness is from God. It's actually from him. It's not just that he owns it like it's God's righteousness. Obviously he does. But it's also from him. It's a key point because this doesn't come from you and me. And Paul has already shown in the preceding couple chapters that our attempts to satisfy God are a dismal failure. Failure. So this righteousness from God has been manifested, he says. It has been made known apart from the law, apart from legalism. The law is a complicated term and it means lots of different things here, but we're going to to call it legalism. Paul is saying here that righteousness comes to us apart from any effort to become acceptable to God by our own efforts. That's a good definition for legalism, by the way, if you're taking notes. It's an attempt its an attempt to become acceptable to God by our own efforts or standards. That's why when someone gets to preaching about matters of conviction that are outside the matters of core doctrine, you should flee. Preaching those matters of opinion and even conviction that are outside the core doctrine, that is a form of legalism. That's not the gospel. The core stuff is the gospel. When the preacher or a church environment makes non-gospel-centric things gospel, they've become legalists. For example, in order to be accepted, if you've got to use the KJV or the ESV, or you've got to be a homeschooler or a public schooler, or if you've got to be GMO-free or a tie-wear or a non-tie-wear or a five-point anything, in order To be considered acceptable by God. Then you're bordering on a form of legalism. Which is making human centered standards. A means of being counted acceptable to God. It won't work. Nothing like that. Just like the Jews 613 laws will work to save. Let me say it another way. If your life and standard is not 100% perfection and holiness, that is 100% the equivalent of God's perfection and holiness, then you and I are 100% in the wrong. Anything that is counted righteous, that is not from God, is a perversion of righteousness. Anything counted as righteous, that is not from God alone, is a perversion of righteousness. The irony, of course, is that every legalist who has ever lived has failed to live up to their own standards, let alone God's. So at the end of verse 21, Paul points out that even the Jews should have seen this. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In other words, righteous comes to us apart from legalism, and even the Old Testament demonstrated that. We don't have a whole lot of time to point out where it was. If you want to do a good study, study the word righteousness or or God as judge in the Old Testament. Righteousness comes to us apart from legalism. He also points out that righteousness, and this is the second blank, is acquired by faith. Righteousness is acquired by faith. This is the first half of 22 here. It's a little parenthetical statement where he says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It explains the word righteousness it, at the end of verse 21. It says, The law and the prophets bear witness to it, and here's the it. The it is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's a righteousness from God through faith in the Messiah. And as far as man's role is concerned, it's about placing faith or trust in Christ and not oneself. Or anybody else. Later in Romans and... Romans 4, 5, Paul says, To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Friends, faith is about trusting that God's works work. Faith is about trusting that God's works alone work. And realizing that our works don't work. The problem is that we like to go through life with faith in our ability to, to accurately see and assess what we think we need. So we work to achieve those things we think we really need to live. That is the opposite of biblical faith. Biblical faith believes that what God says about His righteousness is the only way to please Him. And that it's about an all-encompassing mind, will, and emotions, trust, in God, regardless of what you think, you know about how the world works. The, prob- the problem is that we've been raised from the womb, and even many of us are implicitly taught this by our own families, to believe that pleasing God must be achieved by us, and so we begin to assume that responsibility for ourselves. We begin to assume that responsibility for ourselves and our ability to know what is good and right for us. Here's what I mean. Uh, The African Impala is a a beautiful creature. It's more than just a a car. The African Impala is a marvelous creature. It sort of looks like a gazelle, but with uh, a smidge different coloring and twisty horns. Uh, The African Impala is able to jump over 10 feet high. So think higher than a basketball goal, which is absolutely amazing. It is also able to go as far as 30 feet in one bound when it is going full speed. But zookeepers have learned that you can keep the Impala within a confined area without fear of it jumping out by simply putting up a three-foot-high wall. Because they will not jump... If they cannot see where their feet will land. Isn't that how we go through life most of the time? We let the world or someone else's expectations or a legalistic system of righteousness put up three-foot walls around our lives. We believe that because people keep setting up three-foot walls around our lives... That we keep to have, having to do something to work off our faith. But as George Mueller once said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where man's power ends. The man who said that, George Mueller, was a German born evangelist who cared for over 10,000 orphans in England by raising funds by prayer alone. That's faith in God's work. To acquire God's righteousness means to trust, to have faith, that what God says about pleasing Him is the only way. The problem for us is that we make idols of people when we trust what they say about pleasing God. The problem is we make idols of people when we trust what they say about what it means to please God instead of the Word of God. Instead of the standard of His righteousness. Don't trust in people. Don't even trust in what people tell you about what pleasing God looks like. They'll manipulate it for themselves Every time. That's part of what Paul just got done saying in the preceding chapters. That's why Scripture says, test me on this, trust no man. Faith in humanity is not the gospel. According to Scripture, in fact, faith in humanity is foolish ignorance. Look it up if you think I'm being mean. I'm just being real about what God says in His Word. The gospel only comes by trusting that God's way alone works. The true gospel isn't whether you worship on Saturday or speak in tongues or wear the right clothes or say the right words. The true gospel shuns all methods other than God's method. In fact, the true gospel detests all other methods of attaining righteousness for what they are, which is lies. From the evil one. Thirdly, righteousness is not just apart from legalism and acquired by faith, but it's provided for all. 22b and 23 says, It's for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not going to spend much time here except to say that no one is the exception to this rule. If you're a note taker, write this down because this is all we're going to say here. Righteousness is made available to all who call on the Lord for deliverance. Righteousness is made available to all who call on the Lord for deliverance from sin because there is no one who hasn't sinned. It's sort of a backward way of making the argument, but Paul says it that way. Righteousness also, and this is the next blank, is given freely through grace. Righteousness is given freely through grace. 24a, the first little part of 24, says this. And are justified by His grace as a gift. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And those who have sinned and fall short are justified by His grace as a gift. Paul is making clear here that no one... No one earns this gift. It is only given freely through grace. Now I want to spend a little time here on this word justified uh, because it's an important Bible term uh, that you need to understand clearly. Justification is a word that shows up 39 times in the New Testament, 27 times in Paul's writings, and 15 times here in Romans. It has the same root meaning as this big word righteousness. That we're talking about. It's the same root meaning as the word righteousness. And for the note takers. This is the part we need to be clear about. Is a forensic. And forensic. F-O-R-E-N-S-I-C. Or a legal term. That means to acquit. To acquit. A-C-Q-U-I-T. In other words. Justification speaks of when God declares us not guilty. So justification is being declared righteous. Justification is being declared righteous. This is a huge important thing for us to get clearly in the New Testament. Now it's not the same as being made righteous. That's sanctification. But it is being declared righteous and treated as if you were righteous. Justification is a little bit like this. Uh, many, many years ago there was a man in England, who put his Rolls-Royce on a boat and went across the continent to go on a holiday. I know, rough life. While he was driving around Europe, something happened to the motor of his Rolls-Royce, so he cabled the company back in England, and he said, I'm having trouble with my car. What do I do? Well, if you know anything about one of the perks of owning a Rolls-Royce, which I don't, uh, they promptly flew a mechanic And the mechanic found the car and repaired it on the spot. Well, of course, when the man returned home after his holiday was over, he wrote the people at Rolls-Royce a letter and asked how much the repairs might cost. And he received a letter back from the office that said this. Dear sir, (laughs) there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce. That is justification. It's like saying you can't buy this kind of repair because God has to give it to you. You can't buy this because the cost is more than you can afford. God looks at Christ's perfect and sinless life As the freely given gift. Which is to say that either Jesus' perfect and sinless life counts for everything to justify us before God. Or it counts as nothing. That's the simple gospel. Either it counts as everything to justify us. Or it counts as nothing. Albert Barnes is a a well-known Uh, Bible communicator, long since dead. He says this about justification. It's a great little quote. He says, what is justification? It is the declared purpose of God to regard and treat those sinners who believe in Jesus Christ as if they had not sinned on the ground of the merits of the Savior. He says, it is not mere pardon. Pardon is a free forgiveness of past offenses. Justification has reference to those sins as forgiven and blotted out. Justification has respect to the law and to God's future dealings with the sinner. He says this. It is an act by which God determines to treat him hereafter as righteous as if he had not sinned. And then listen to this. This is awesome. The basis for this treatment is the merit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Merit. That we can plead as if it were our own. Merit that we can plead as if it were our own. He has taken our place and died in our stead. He has met the descending stroke of justice. Which would have fallen on our own heads if he had not interposed. Friends, that's precious truth. Righteousness also is accomplished by redemption. Second little phrase in 24 tells us that. It says it's through the redemption. It's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says our justification comes through that redemption. So quickly, if you're a note taker, uh, this word about redemption refers to delivering from captivity by means of paying a price. Delivering from captivity by means of paying a price. It was commonly used of paying the ransom for a prisoner or the price to free a slave. So so this this justification, as we've already noted, uh, wasn't just a pretend or a fake declaration of one's freedom. We think of it like that because we think, oh, if I were to declare somebody righteous, it would be just words because I can't. But when God declares somebody righteous, it actually counts. It means something. He's paid the redemptive price. So this justification isn't a pretender, a fake one. It actually costs something. And the cost comes in the next phrase here, verse 25a, that first little part of 25. He says, whom God put forward, he had just said it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So Jesus is the one whom God put forward as a propitiation. This word, propitiation, uh, which is almost single-handedly why I use the ESV and not some other translations. This word is a key word. It's a key doctrinal word. That carries the idea of appeasing or satisfying someone's anger. Appeasing or satisfying someone's wrath. When someone is angry at you, what do you do to satisfy them? You propitiate for their anger by doing something. It was a word that used to be called, of, uh, used to be used by, by talking about propitiating the gods, the pantheon of gods in mythology. And, uh, and, and Paul takes that term from the culture and says, this is like that. It's an active word where something has to be done, and most of the time it was by offering. Uh, A gift. Here, the gift is a blood gift. The life of Christ given as a gift is the sacrifice. The sacrifice of his perfect and sinless life given for ours. So this is how that transaction happens. This is cool stuff. So in Christ's death for us, his atoning sacrifice for us... We have His merits of a perfect and sinless life counted for us as the gift that appeases God's wrath against sin. Just read the Old Testament. God is angry at sin. God is angry at sin. Next, and finally, the cross is what reveals God's righteousness. It's the cross that reveals God's righteousness. We've been asking this question today about what it is that reveals God's amazing gift of His own righteousness. And it's the cross. It's the cross that ultimately shows it. Look at this next passage. Now that we've some, laid some groundwork, look at this cool next passage. 25b-26. through 26. It brings together this concept of God's gift of His own righteousness. It says this, This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Look at the beginning here. Twenty five B says Paul saying this, this was to show God's righteousness. This refers to the cross. He's referring back to the previous verse. We, where we were shown that God's righteousness was paid for by Christ's atoning sacrifice by his blood. So when he says this, that's what he means. This, Christ's death on the cross, was to show God's righteousness. Christ's death on the cross happened, it, it happened to display God's righteousness. Why? It says this because in his divine forbearance, it's a fancy word that means patience, in his patience, If you're taking notes, it's a bit of an old-timey word, forbearance is. It means to withhold the punishment that is actually deserved. So forbearance on a loan uh, means that they give you more grace, they give you time to pay that loan back. So here in Romans, it's a way of saying, because God loves you and is patient, he has passed over former sins. Why? Verse 26, to show his righteousness at the present time. That's why he said that at the very beginning, but now, and he picks that up and says, at the present time. And then there's this super cool phrase. He did it so that he might be just. He might keep his status as righteous and just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the heart of the Christian faith. At the cross, both the justice and the love of God meet. Both the justice and the love of God meet. He satisfies his own just wrath against sin by taking on that wrath. At the cross, God satisfies his own just wrath. Against sin. By bearing the weight of it for you. That is God's amazing gift of His own righteousness.